Sonic State Moscow. Hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 165, recording live, in case you've never heard this before. Uh, you can come and visit us and watch uh, what people are chatting room in the chat room, because uh, we've got a live chat room and a live audio stream. That's at sonicstate.com forward slash live, Wednesdays about 4pm. So uh, thank you very much to all our people who are joining us this week. And we've got a fulsome, a fairly fulsome uh, guest list today, because uh, I've got visitors in the studio. I've got all the wires, uh, all my wires are used. All my headphones are used, everything's used. Uh, so, first of all, I'll say hello to the visitors in the studio, which is uh, Dave Spears from g4software.com. Hello. Nice to be here. Good. Glad you're here. <laughs> Enjoying the tea? Is the tea all right? Tea's great. Excellent. Marks and Spencer's finest. Uh, I've also got John, who is, uh, AKA the, the number cruncher, who is um, apparently Mr. Imposka. Hello. How you doing? Good. Good journey down here then? Yeah, it was easy because. Chris drove. <laughs> Excellent. Chris is here too. Chris is filming the whole thing on an iPhone. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but we haven't got enough headphones for him, so he's going to be the silent um, minority in this one. So, uh, anyway, uh, and also, um, the other side of the pond, uh, we have got PJ Tracy back. Uh, welcome, PJ Tracy. It's been a long time. I'm glad you we got your Skype problems worked out. PJTracyMusic.com, Emmy-winning composer. Oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's very good to be back. Always good to have you. Uh, and uh, I guess, are you getting snow where you are? Uh, we just had some. Um, another two and a half inches adding to the total this winter. And I'm not exactly sure what the incoming total's been this winter, but uh, they did something here in Minneapolis that they haven't done in over a decade. They banned uh, parking on one side of the streets because the snow is encroaching uh, towards the center. And emergency vehicles like ambulances and fire trucks cannot get down the streets if there are cars on both sides. Well, that sounds pretty serious. And tour buses, I'd imagine, having a bit of trouble. I would, I would imagine all those tour buses in the middle of January. Mind you, would you want to be on a tour bus <laughs> this time of year? Do people nope. do that sort of thing on the bus? There, there is a trolley that um, runs daily. I believe it's from April to October, which is sensible um, economically and, and logistically here in, in the northern climes that uh, – roams throughout Minneapolis and points out various historical sites and scenic vistas. Right. So I'm guessing that kind of tour as well would probably be not such a good idea this time of year. And here on the left is the site of our last crash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that other chuckle you heard was uh, Mr. Rich Hilton. Hey, good morning. From Connecticut, engineer to the stars, producer, Pro Tools expert, keyboard player, you name it, he can do it, pretty much. Can he snowboard, though? Well, I was pushing a snow blower earlier. Okay, well, you're all winter and Olympic up. We're getting there. I'm, I've been staying up far too late. I was watching the the women's snowboard cross final last night, where the uh, the British girl came eighth because she hurt her knee, but That's she did right. quite well. She came fifth, and then she then yeah, she came fifth, and then in the the qualifiers, she, she hurt her knee, so she only got out of the gate. But it was quite exciting. All very exciting stuff. Um, anyway, it's not very music tech, though, is it? So, uh, first of all, I want to say hello to Joe Cummins, because she contacted me via Facebook, and she's a recent listener to the podcast, and she's a girl, you know, so I've got to mention it. It's quite important. <laughs> and uh, she's basically um, trying to set up, uh, she's just started listening to the podcast, actually, and she's just trying to set up a new musical composition system. She's got an old Sony Vio VGN A517S, which I don't know what that means, and she's wondering whether she can just buy a couple of things that will enable her to make a bit of noise. And she suggested the Micro Korg XL, which I would say was a pretty good start, because that's a, a nice little piece of kit, and it does multi-timbral and it's got a built-in uh, uh, MIDI interface so you don't have to worry about that but I was just wondering what software you reckon she could run that would be sort of low latency so there's Cubase Express what do you think Ableton Live Lite maybe something like that yeah yeah hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. F- Fruity Loops um, in terms of actually being Fruity Loops on good call a, on a PC laptop she may want to uh, she may want to invest in a decent sound card yeah, that's true. I think her uh, there was one point she mentioned in her email, which was, please don't tell me I have to buy a new laptop, <laughs> which, of course, I would recommend at this point, because it's, if it's quite old, it might struggle a little bit. But anyway, just wanted to say hi to Joe and thanks for contacting us. And, uh, so, uh, and to confirm that we do have at least one lady listener. Yay! She says we're accessible, even to a novice like her. Well, one thing is, if she's on a laptop, she might want to get ASIO for All, which is an ASIO driver that works with just about anything. Oh, I've heard about that, yeah. Yeah. 
because some hosts, some doors only work with ASIO. They don't work with the auto media players and media drivers and so on. Ah, good point, good point. A good call too. Okay, well, there you go, Joe. And uh, shall we move on to our immediately, our first topic, which uh, I think you'll agree is very beautiful. Now, uh, I just want to warn John here because he's on a sort of sidecar mixer affair here and it might get really, really loud. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play the tune and then... Uh, We'll see what see happens. If he passes out. See if he passes out. See if the blood starts running down the inside of his neck. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll start him down there, and I'll hit that, and then we'll play go. He's not dying. fade that out in a sort of way. Unfortunately for us, it was all mono, but it does sound beautiful in stereo, I have to say. Really beautiful. Um, Anyway, that was the beautiful combination of the Novacord, which 1939 since we've we've covered recently. There's a guy, Dan Austin, who... No, not Dan, sorry. uh, Dan Wilson, who's uh, been restoring one in the Bath area. 1939 synth and the sound of the theremin together in a sort of very beautiful and... Vo- very vocally, uh, sort of sound voice-like, didn't it, the theremin? Mm. And um, I just get the facts and figures out of the way. That was uh, Thomas Grillo, who started playing, get this, in 2006 and is self-taught. Wow. I'm not sure who you'd get to teach you the theremin, to be honest, but, I mean, still, it's pretty impressive, wasn't it? Very expressive and beautiful. Uh, the rich ensemble string sound was played by Dan on his very own Novacord, or it might have been using his Hollow Sun uh, library, because they've just released one for, uh, is it Contact and ESX24? I forget the formats, but go and check it out, hollowsun.com. Um, but that wasn't really the point of the uh, exercise. It got me thinking about the idea of beautiful combinations, things that go very well together. Uh, and a couple of examples might be... Um, well, vibes and clarinet, if you like that sort of thing. Or uh, the bass guitar and the LA-2A compressor. That sort of stuff. And I wondered whether anybody had any firm favourites, because obviously there's synths that just go, you know, a 909 and a 303, or an 808 and a 303, that sort of combination kind of stuff. Um, I think we might just wait for... Well, we'll carry on, and we'll wait for Rich to come back, because I know he think he's rebooted his laptop. So, Dave. Oh. Give me your top three. I'm going to be synth-based, aren't I? Definitely. I'll I, I tell you what, a Rhodes and a Minimoog. Cheese and pickle? Yeah. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Having tomato. Uh, Rhodes and a Minimoog for me. Definitely. Rhodes and an Odyssey. Right. Uh, Rhodes and an Oscar. Oh, there's quite a lot of Rhodes kicking in here. Um, there is, I feel, a pattern. Yeah. I can't think of anything else. Blimey. Anything in a Pultec, frankly. Uh, 808 in a Pultec was actually one of the ones that I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd thought of. Pultec Classic EQ, which Gorgeous. just has a really sort of sizzly top end and nice bottom end and big, great big Baker-like knobs. And you stick an 808 through that and it just comes to life, doesn't it? It sounds like it's gone from 8-bit to 24-bit. Mm. Absolutely gorgeous. PJ? Oh, well... Um a drum kit and a fatso or a distressor. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very so, yeah. that's a very American combination, if I may say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, you, as uh, you would expect. An acoustic piano and an acoustic bass played by two good players. Um, Lennon and McCartney. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that's straying slightly outside, but I'll, I'll let yeah. you have that. I'll let you have it. Chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> no, you, can't, you, can't, you definitely can't have that. You can have tequila <laughs> okay. and t- coffee, but not chocolate and peanut butter. That, what's the matter with you, okay. man? How would you ever open your mouth again after, after that? It would just stick together. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, John Van Eaton, Odyssey in a 2600. Mm, yeah, okay. I got you there. I'm going to go and get Rich again, because I'm sure he will have ample suggestions. A Juno 106 and anything else I've ever paired it up And a with. Space Echo. Ah, Space Echoes. Oh, that's a good one. Rich. Much better. Ah, I'm so glad. I'm sorry that uh, we had some problems. Chris has got one. 
Hammond oh. and a Leslie. Well, yeah, that's that's uh, that goes without saying. That's well almost, spotted there. Almost anything in a Leslie. Almost anything in a Leslie. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, Dave pointed out the uh, the Pultec and the 808, uh, or anything in a Pultec. I just wondered what sort of combinations you might... Uh, you, I'm sure you've got loads that you try out on a regular basis. Well, gee, I... It's so situation. Yes, every day. Every time I put up a new sound, it's how it works in the context of the old sounds. So at every moment in my music creation life, I'm doing this. But mm. to to draw on two... Well, you can, um, you can have um, several You know what pairs. I'm hoping for? I'm hoping that the Minimoog we have now and the Oberheim SEM that I think I just talked Niall into getting will sound magnificent together. Good work. <laughs> Good work. You've been lusting afterwards. Are you going to go for the, one of the new rebuilds or a classic? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. With the MIDI, with, I'll probably get the MIDI built in instead of the patch points. Um, mm. Even though, personally, I'm kind of fascinated by patching synths and stuff. In that room, it never happens. And it will never happen, that I can tell. And it's fine. Uh, I think. Uh, I can't think you have I'm, just uh, with those two? Can't you have just a tiny little corner with some very short patch leads? <laughs> well, they would be actually together, but um, in in the left side of my rack. And uh, yeah, I figure at the end of that process, I've got a mini Moog, I've got an Oberheim SEM, and I've got a Prophet 08. Oh yeah, I'm nice. thinking that's a pretty nice room full of analog gear. I would say so, and it'll photograph really well. Yeah, that's true. Was that what was that what swayed it for Niall? <laughs> no, no, no. Because uh, let me assure you, the Poltec filters that are there now photograph really well too. Oh so yeah, gosh. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, although I could free up a couple of rack spaces elsewhere for those because I'm not. There's some things I'm not using much anymore. But you, um, speaking of anyway, do you combinations. Use- you know, I, yeah. I don't. That Oberheim eight voice Dave was playing, and almost anything I've ever heard would would go really well. Yeah, I did so nice. <laughs> Same and a same and a same. A same and a same and a same. Perfect same threesome. <laughs> so, John, from your point of view, what uh, have you got? Any suggestions? Two things that, all, you know, or, or more that go together that like um, perfection. Um, after Dave said so many things, Rhodes, I, I hesitate to say that um, a, a sound that springs to mind is Rhodes, and I think um, tremolo. Very slow. Oh, yeah, yeah, sound. yeah, yeah. Okay, and I think, like we said, anything vintage and a space echo. It's got to be a good yeah, shout. Yeah, a bit dub style in a space echo. Mm. So, and in terms of software, I mean, are there kind of things, because you build stuff, right, yep. from kind of the ground up, or as it were, or to a specification. Are there any way, you know, like, I guess component modelling has kind of got something to do with that. Is there anything that's perhaps a bit more sort of underneath the hood that, have to, that you have to have in combination to create anything very special? Is that a bit deep? <laughs> Hold on a minute. An yeah. oscillator and a filter. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. A one and a two. A one and a, two, a, one and a, a zero. A one and a zero, yeah. <laughs> Where zero. would we be? Yeah. Twos are optional. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, anyway, if it springs to mind, just shout out. Um... Now let's think. Uh, that, yes, that was that was a beautiful combinations. That was uh, what did I, I did say, didn't I? I said that was Dan Wilson and Thomas Grillo. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if you know Rich. That guy taught himself and only started in two thousand and six. Not bad, eh? On the theremin. Which guy? The, the guy theremin playing the guy? theremin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really nicely expressive performance. I was really impressed. And he's quite and well in tune. It is, yeah. And uh, you go to the site, and uh, he's quite a. Uh, um, presentable gentleman i mean he's very sort of he looks quite quite straight you know it's sort of unusual that he's self-taught but he looks really sort of classical and quite a straight lace kind of guy and it's quite unusual to hear that sort of expressiveness in someone self-taught that perhaps hasn't got dreads or something i don't know about that. all right i'm just i'm generalizing massively all right i'm filling dead air you classical people pay no heed to this man yeah, pay no right. attention to that man behind the curtain yeah you're absolutely right take the tucks off so, uh, well, let's, let's what should we have next? Oh, I know. Let's have a quick ad from uh, our sponsor because uh, we always like to mention them because they're very good to us. That's at Yamaha UK. Are very, uh, very um, happy to mention our sponsors. Um, please go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha and you'll get links to a couple of things. First of all, you get a link to the podcast, uh, which is the February edition. And in the February show, it's very guitar based and uh, they're talking... Um, 
about their new legendary Yamaha SG guitar, uh, which is uh, got a new inc- incarnation, which is the SG1820. And if I'm not mistaken, the bloke on the cover of the, the sort of cover shot of the podcast looks like the guy who does the demos for TC Electronic, a, an enormously handsome, and I mean that in a most sort of uh, straight kind of way, uh, <coughs> um, <laughs> Danish fellow, who, uh, who, strangely enough, last time I also saw him, Last time I saw him, he was at Nam playing with another couple of really, you know, well, well-built Danish men, and they were just oh, well. surrounded by all these young girls who were just, just kind of trying to chat them up. And the time okay. I saw him before that, he was actually playing or miming guitar in the um, uh, Eurovision Song Contest <laughs> for the wow. Danish entry. So he obviously gets around a bit. Uh, anyway, I digress. That's completely got nothing to... We're in the middle of an ad, aren't we? So, yeah, yamaha.co.uk, uh, yamaha.download.co.uk. Go and check that out. Check the podcast out. It's a great podcast. Lots of stuff from a musician, production, recording, and general interest point of view. Very, very handy. Also, the, the website's great, and there's uh, included in that is the opportunity to sign up for the newsletter. And considering we've got a, uh, a show coming up, which is Music Messer, where Yamaha have a vast empire of a stand which i think i talked about last week uh, amazing place um, well worth signing up for that uh, even if it is just for a couple of months just to see what's coming up but i know they're going to have some things out there for for music messer because they always have a major presence anyway thank you very much indeed to yamaha.co.uk for sponsoring the show and remember go to sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha and you'll get all the bounces out to the various resources i've talked about so yeah thanks once again Right, our next topic is... uh, Oh, yeah, what do you reckon? I've got another thing to play. God, it's amazing, isn't it? And this is a most unusual piece of equipment. Oh, hold on. My vest's coming off. I'm going to wave it in the air. Uh, what was I thinking? doesn't even tell you much at all about the topic, does it, that? But that is the sound of... Now, I don't know if I've got this right. It's called a field tune, uh, or it's by field tune, and it's called the rhizome. I think that's right. Or is it rhizome? Rhizome. We're not clear. It's, it's at the stage where it's basically being a kind of um, early prototype... Uh, but what it is, is a massive great computer, as far as I can tell, in, in a very unusual format. It's got three LCD strip displays, uh, two rows of 16 knobs, at least two rows of 16 buttons, kind of in a 909 style, and various other buttons through it. So it looks to me like it's some kind of VST-based software uh, inside a, a custom piece of hardware. Sort of similar-ish in concept, perhaps, to the Open Lab stuff, but less computery and much more performance-based. And um, there's a video on the site, and uh, that's it. FieldTune is a company based in France, and they develop software and hardware solutions for the music industry. Um, this is their few first musical audio device, and it will be released, apparently, in quarter three, 2010. So I'm guessing, if we have a look round at Music Messer, we might just see something going on and i guess um it must i'm i'm, I'm making wild guesses here because there's no information here about it whatsoever on the site apart from the teasers um it's i'm guessing it's probably a linux based core engine with a vst wrapper player kind of thing that you can put musical instruments in you know that kind of thing the people who are two of the founders are members of a band called the clones who are a french electronic band and it's won several awards for the concept and development that's all i know that's Anybody? funny. It's won awards already, and it's still in prototype. <laughs> well, I think France are quite big on kind of export of ideas, so they obviously have a lot more ways to measure these kind of things, and obviously they <laughs> dish out quite a lot of grants to to people in France for, for developing this kind of thing, which, you know, we all sort of scoff and go, yeah, there's no way they, they get in if anywhere otherwise, but actually it's probably quite a good thing when it comes to some creative free thinking, and we could probably do with a bit of that sort of thing going on in our very own country. Definitely. But um, anyone know anything about it? <laughs> Not really. Really? Let's get the tumbleweed ready. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm not, I haven't had the tumbleweed for ages. I'm just going to have a little bit of tumbleweed here. There we go. Ah, it's good to be back, actually. It sort of feels like a long time since we've played this. We must be getting more professional. Or perhaps my, my tumbleweed threshold has uh, raised over the, next few, over the last few months. Obviously, this tumbleweed was uh, pre- presented to us 
by Mr. Howard Scar, who is the sound designer extraordinaire. Works with Mr. Hans Zimmer on many soundtracks to the major movies all over the place. Anyway, that was it. I just thought I'd play that. So we know nothing about it. Um, <laughs> and um, picture would be nice. Well, a picture. Well, you're, well you're, yeah, he did. John's at a disadvantage. We have to say because John was invited on the podcast in the car on the way down, <laughs> so he's probably unable to visualise what it is that we're talking about. And if I start playing the video, it's likely to bonk the bandwidth to to it. So you'll just have to take my word for it. It's really quite smashing looking. It does look nice. It does look big. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. It's going to be at least a two or three grander, isn't it? It's so big. It'd be interesting to see. <laughs> yes, Chris knows more about it, but he's over the other side of the room. He hasn't got look a mic. Knob on that thing. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't comment anymore. Anyway, it looks kind of interesting, and that's kind of about it, really, isn't it? But we'll check it out at now uh, at Mesa, shall we? Well, there's oh. almost a complete lack of information about what it is. You don't even know if it's generating the sounds or controlling. Oh yeah, something no, I think it, I think it's or... no, I think it's a self-contained. I mean, you see the size of the fan port on it. There's stuff in there generating a lot of heat, and it's either just a fire or some sort of CPUs and stuff going on. <laughs> So, um, let me see. I've got some bullet points here that I think I found from the website. Uh, Easy to use like a groove machine, powerful like the latest computer technology, and empowered by the versatility of plugins. Plugins, I'd imagine, somewhat, um, that could be along the lines of GeForce or any other kind of uh, virtual instruments, I'm I'm assuming. So, maybe you should talk to these guys, Dave. Um... Today, the Rhizome is the only box combining samplers, mixing desk sequences, synthesizers, totally open and compatible with VSTs. Well, that's actually not strictly true, but we'll gloss over that just a little bit. Uh, unique large display areas, optimal user experience, advanced real-time capabilities, innovative interface. I'll grant that. It does look like it's quite innovative. Um, and that's it, really. The first, this is a prototype, and that's all there is. I'm sure there's going to be more coming up there soon bound to be i mean if it's got a cpu in it it's got to be reasonable grunt and going to be able to play let's let's say 16 parts because it's got 16 of lots of things so yeah interesting we'll have to keep an eye on yeah. it because the rest of what we say is pure speculation and uninformed gibberish <laughs> but as i'm the one doing most of the talking i'll take full responsibility for that label but the, the problem with these things mostly isn't the the CPU power, that's cheap now. It's actually the integration of that interface to the software. Yeah. Because the VSTs haven't been done to use two rows of 16 knobs and two rows of 16 buttons. There's just a, there's always a mismatch, so it's always a bit uncomfortable. Well, it's the same eternal problem with um, the, 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 the holy grail of the perfect controller, isn't it? You know, I, I mean, I suppose you could liken it to degree, you know, in terms of hardware, and I know this word may not... Um, may raise the, 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 the hairs on the back of some people's necks in the room, but the Artoria Origin, you know, is a similar kind of concept. It's a dedicated computer with a dedicated interface. And, the th- and I'm guessing John Bowen's Solaris, you know, which has dedicated, it's a dedicated CPU, effectively, that's been programmed to run these algorithms, although it's not a VST player, which is, I'd like to stress at this point. But, um, I mean, the bit that goes from it's a prototype, look how it works, to now it's sellable is the difficult bit, I'd imagine. Because you've got to get it all to work and, you know, and all that sort of thing. And bit. everyone looks at the engineer <laughs> in the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got to get back and keep working, thanks. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens with it and uh, we'll keep, you can, keep you posted. Oh, can Dave. I say that it does represent something of a trend that I'm seeing in the way things are being marketed these days? I just watched a, uh, an ovation video this morning of some kid with a laptop running Ableton and a 25-key SL Mark II sitting on his lap going nuts, making all kinds of stuff happen in real time. And there's just sort of this gleeful grabbing of the knob that's going on right now in the, in the promotions for these things. And as you look at the proliferation of these hardware-based interface products, uh, it's clearly, to me, seems to be where people are hoping things are going based on the kinds of cross-activity between the music creation community and the DJ community. I suppose, actually, if you think about it, I mean, sort of old duffers like us who are used to having a hardware interface kind of hanker after it, whereas, you know, kids who've perhaps been brought up using Reason and Ableton are suddenly discovering this hardware concept. It must be like a kind of... I mean, I'm guessing they're going, wow, I never knew you could do this kind of thing. I don't know. What do you think, PJ? Oh, yeah, most definitely. When I, when I looked at this thing, I thought, wow, it's kind of a return to, um, you know, what was happening in the mid-1990s with the MC909s and the 505s, Roland's boxes. And, and personally, I, I love 
those interfaces for music creation, for just putting something on your lap and, and going with it. I mean, you can, you know, they're, they're deep. There's a, there's a lot you can do with them. So I think uh, the rediscovery of that, I mean, t- just to say 15, you know, 15, 12 years out is a, is a great thing. You know, the younger generation kind of, kind of coming up right now on Ableton and Reason, as you say, getting into that. But looking at this particular box and not knowing anything about it, uh, I'll just add my, my two cents worth of gibberish. I, I wonder if, <clears throat> if you're right in that uh, it's, it's almost, if, if you take it at face value the way that you read the bullet points on, on their site, that it's very similar in concept to a, to a Nico or a Miko by Open, Open Labs. Yeah. And if it, if it can play freeform VST plugins, I mean, any, anything that you can port to its operating system or if, it just, if it's already you know, able to, to accept anything that's out there, then uh, you have to wonder, like John was saying, how, how is that interface going to hold up? Because there's no, there's no screen. So obviously, in order to do any real kind of editing of, of a VST that isn't already... Um, you made directly for that box. You're going to have to hook this thing up to a computer and do some kind of hybrid, you know, hybrid editing. Or it's going to have to remap it on the fly because it looks like there's lots of little slots with knobs and different parameters that you can access there. But then that's not going to be, you're right, that's not going to be the interface that the VST designer originally um, visualized. Yeah, and it would be difficult to know, I mean, exactly what it is that you were doing at that point. If you if you just stuck a, a random VST in a box like that and it remapped it on the fly, who knows what it's doing, right? What the heck? Well, I guess it would label yeah. itself, but it would have to have... Yeah, no, interesting. I mean, all these are presumably problems that uh, will have to be solved in the not-too-distant future for these chaps. But, I mean, in my experience, generally when you see this sort of thing for the first time, you know, it's shown at somewhere like Mesa or Nam, and people come up and they go and they find out how easy or difficult it is to work with. So it's really, it really is very much a trade kind of un- un- uncovering. It's, you know, obviously there'll be public interest, but the trade will be presumably very interested to find out what they can uh, achieve with this new piece of hardware and whether it's going to be something that's going to be a mainstream sort of thing. My guessing is looking at it, it looks like it's going to be pricey, which means it's you know going to be for uh, a certain niche rather than everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you guys discuss um, the viability of the iPad as a, as a cheap touchscreen i didn't yeah listen to we that did when that when we episode. did um when we first talked about it i mean i was talking about the the, the idea of uh jazz mutant getting their programming language and the uh the jazz editor essentially and being able to interface that directly with the ipad so you could create your own interfaces on it and using that to either come out over uh midi or wi-fi to control you know stuff in the in the physical world yes absolutely and i think I, I haven't heard anything about that but i would i would like to think that they are and there are other people i think uh, there's an osc device for the iphone which presumably will scale up nicely to the ipad so yeah i mean all of this stuff i suppose when you think that that's coming the idea of spending you know two three four five whatever grand on a, a dedicated piece of hardware might yeah, seem I see, a little I see that as, the way for, as the way forward you know that that kind of thing i mean now mm. that we're seeing the cheap the cheap ubiquitousness of, of these larger multi-touch screens that I'm sure there's always going to be people that are going to prefer faders. It, it's funny. Multi-touch is becoming part of my uh, physical language now because I've, I've been reviewing the Chaosolator Pro. I did an unboxing video last weekend, which uh, just, just to sort of have a laugh with it. And um, the level of interest has been enormous. But anyway, I digress. That, that review will be coming soon. And there's ways that you, you can go into a shift mode and you can turn up and down uh, the four loops, and I instinctively want to hold more than move one more than one control at a time, and mul- use it in multi-touch. And obviously, it's not a multi-touch device, but because it has a touchability to it, I assume it is multi-touch. So pretty soon, multi-touch is going to be ubiquitous, and I think it's going to be really sort of seen as kind of quite basic not to have multi-touch. I think that is going to be. I think you're right. I mean, it's going to mm-hmm. be the de facto standard, pretty much. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as the iPad hits the streets, which is when. You know, a matter of weeks, isn't it? Yep. We we came up we came up with another musical use this week around here for the iPad. Oh, okay. Discussion. Well, the younger son says to me, "Hey, Dad, guess what? You can get the entire real book, which is a famous book of jazz standards that uh, used to be only available as a bootleg publication in Boston. Uh, you can get the whole you know real book on on the i you know for the iPod Touch." And I said, "Yeah, but who'd want to look at it on there?" And the other son pipes in, "iPad." Yeah, songbook. Ah, 
Notation reader. Wow, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah in fact, I, I said to Dave earlier well, last week that one accessory they need to make is a, a, a stand for it to fix to your mic stand. Right. Um, right. Because yeah. Giant crap sheet. Yeah, in that's my out case, there, I, do, I, I do these jam yeah. notes, and having access to um, music information or, or lyrics for some people because they turn up their, uh, the, the songs and so on would be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, no, they it already, makes they perfect sense. Those for the for the iPhones and the G phones, the Android, yeah, the yeah. Android phones. So I'm sure it'll be just a matter of, of a couple of weeks before they do it for the iPad. Yeah, because I've I've seen people try to read the lyrics off an iPhone on a Gemini, and it's quite amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it it's hard. It's not like auto cue. You're squinting at it rather than sort of gazing out over the audience. You're sort of peering down the end of your nose at it. Instead, yeah, I can imagine that would be difficult. Mm. Pair of binoculars. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, anyway, um, check it out. And um, what's the? Let's have a look. What's the URL for that? That is uh, feeltune dot com. Um, so check that. And thanks to Chris, who's in the room over there, uh, for bringing that to our attention. And revealing nothing. More. Revealing nothing more. Yeah. <laughs> but th- nonetheless, right. What else have we got? Ah, now here we go. Uh, this was a really big story, actually. I'd like to say thanks to Deckers for pointing out this. I mean, he, him being bilingual. Um, he actually um, pointed me. This is a, a story on Amazon, Amazona.de, which is a big um, German music production uh, that's not Muso Talk. So I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Hans, but I had to mention it. Um, anyway, the story is um, there was a, a kind of survey questionnaire uh, that seems to have been. I mean, I don't speak German, so I don't have all the details. Seems to have been sort of either started or uh, cooperated with by Behringer and they they asked various questions like you know what would you like to see in a polysynth of around 500 to 700 euros and they came up with this kind of rather Juno 106 looking mock-up and there were various other questions you know what kind of stuff would you would you like to see on it you know this sort of thing and um it was a really big story. I mean, lots of people seem to check that out and, uh, and, and, and like the idea of it. And obviously you get the usual kind of Beringer rubbish, but, uh, you know, okay, it'll be good price and what will it sound like? And it looks like something else. Uh, this was called the Fat 108. And uh, Beringer at this point are saying, you know, look, this is just a concept. It's not planned to build one, you know. So, you know, we were just messing around, folks. But you'd sort of think if they saw an opportunity there and lots of people positively went, yeah, actually I would, then why not? So... I guess I was thinking, you know, what would we like to see in a polysynth of that kind of price range? What would it actually have to have to be, you know, the the real deal, the right thing to make you want to jump? I mean, let's assuming it is a Behringer. Let's just take that as given, just for the, for the, for the heck of it, because they can build loads of them really cheap because they've got the manufacturing capability. Let's assume they're making it just for the purposes of this discussion. And what would what should it need? I mean, the the, the specification on this appear to be it's going to be eight voice, but I suppose it could be six, couldn't it? You know, if you needed to cut down voices, what other controls would it need? And I'm looking firmly at you, Dave, because you are <laughs> you are synthly qualified. I've just bought a synth today. Really? Was it a Behringer? One of the reasons we came down here. No, it's an art pro soloist, and it's in absolutely brilliant condition. Excellent. From somebody in Bath. Anyway, uh, knobs. Knobs, not sliders. Yeah, sliders would be all right, but yeah. No, it's got to have tactile control, otherwise that's no good. Yeah. And I would like, am I allowed a wish list? Yeah, well, I'm just wondering what kind of components it would need. I mean, not physically, but, you know, would it need, how many LFOs, would it need effects, you know, that sort of stuff, almost. So 500 euros. <laughs> yeah. Blimey. A keyboard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it wouldn't have to have a keyboard, would it? You could have a desktop one. Cut the price down. Kind of work. Or you could have, yeah, you could make it look like a wasp, which I saw go on eBay for 500 quid. So there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got to have... It's got to have a minimum of two oscillators. It's got to have at least one LFO. It's got to have at least two envelopes. I can put up with six voice polyphony. So, I'd I mean, like essentially, we are kind of looking at, like, taking the Juno model as a concept. And this brings up another yeah. question, because, you know, people bang on, you know, ad nauseum about, you know, Roland have no right to call any recent models Juno because they're nothing like Junos. But in fact, the whole point of the Juno brand was to be uh, an affordable way into the current music technology, right? Yep. So they had to cut a lot of corners when they're making this thing, and they made that sort of... There's a template there, isn't there, that's kind of... It's, it would seem foolish to perhaps deviate too far from. So, I mean, assuming you've got, you know, your, your VCF, your VCA, uh, another envelope, uh, an LFO, a sub-oscillator? Do you know, it would be quite fun to go back to the sort of those days, wouldn't it? 
and just you know what else outside what else could you bring to it from you know now that would make that m- even more synthy relevant oh a lot of things arpeggiator chris calls from the back of the room yeah vocoder vocoder right okay I guess um, that would. I mean, you know, a, 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 a waveform set that includes, you know, sound ROM. Um, oh, so downloadable oscillator waves, maybe. Whether they were downloadable or or insertable from a SD card or whatever, as long as the, there was more than just five analog waveforms, you could. It's already, you know, vers- more versatile on some level. And how would you do that though? Because if you think about using the oscillators using the waveforms i mean you wouldn't just load samples in there would there be sample sets or would they be models i mean i don't know john maybe you'd have a an idea of how you do that because i mean you know it'd be great to be able to say hey i just bought a set of jupiter 6 oscillator waveforms for my 500 euro synth you know for instance yeah i don't know the 500 euro price i'm probably expecting them to be samples so it would be some right i don't know what um, the okay yeah in fact, i'm thinking in terms of like the sq80 sq1 kind of situation where the waveforms were samples so what um how, you know, what sort of level of granularity in the sample would you have to do? Would you be one per octave or one per note? I mean, I suppose it's, they're going to be tiny, aren't they, in a few cycles or whatever? Yeah, I mean, it depends on... If you're just in a single cycle once, then, in fact, you can use the same sample all the way up. Um, mm. It depends on the sound you want as well, whether you need, aliasing's a problem for you, because sometimes people think it's cool. Um, but you can... I mean, memory's cheap now, so... yeah. What about... How would you deal with pulse width when you're doing that sort of thing? Because I think pulse width is an absolute necessity... And pulse width modulation, for um, sure. You just need to be able to do two, two sawtooths. Inverted. Oh, right, so you just... Well, okay. And mix them. Mm, I think we're getting somewhere. And a ribbon controller. A ribbon controller for a polysynth. Yes, come on. Mm-hmm. That's a bit decadent. They could team up with Dopefer, couldn't they? I'm sure they could do it for 500 euros. And what about, <laughs> what about effects-wise? I mean, I think you've got to have, like, a really nice ensemble or a chorus... I'm not worried about... I, mean, I suppose you could put delay. You could throw a bunch of DSP stuff in there as well if you wanted, couldn't you? I mean, there'd be no harm in it. If you're going to have a DSP in there, you may as well get it to do a few DSP-like effects, eh? <laughs> he says casually looking at the engineer. <laughs> no, but... but I, or does that make it sound a bit generic? I like delays. I think delays are almost as good as another instrument myself. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you'll have a full effects section, I'm sure. And how about you, PJ? Have you got any... What would you like to see? You know, the, what could you... If, you, if we take... No, let's say we, we are taking the Juno 60, Juno 106 as the sort of starting kind of specification, adding to that and creating something that would make it more relevant now and, and take the best of what's happened since then. I guess if you're going to make it more relevant now, then it would have to be um, I.O., you know, what would you, what would you have for I.O. on, on, on this box? Um, obviously... Oh, I- Obviously, MIDI, um, USB would be good. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to add other than what everybody else has already said at this price point. I mean, you start adding more, you're, you're obviously going to start moving out of this price point or it's not going to sound very good. If you wanted to do it for the current marketplace, you'd make it 32-bit and then tell everybody that 64-bit was absolutely vital in order to make it work. Then <laughs> <laughs> no, charge a fortune for the upgrade. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You could yeah. have a new operating system that would increase the amount of waveform RAM <laughs> to <laughs> four kilobytes <laughs> instead of two kilobytes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, most of the features would have to be software ones anyway, if you're talking about mm-hmm. adding stuff on, because 500 euros, once you... I, mean, I don't know how they've worked out this price, but once you take off the retailer's margin and the, the, the distributor's margin, that's not leaving much for manufacture. Um, that's so, three euros. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm talking about an analog synth. I mean, it's not going to be a full analog polysynth, I don't think. It's no, no, of course. So, all your clever stuff's going to have to be in that digital section, whether it's arpeggiators, whether it's clever modulations, whether it's oscillator types. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> OS updates would come into it, probably. Hmm, interesting idea. I'd just like to say hello to Tara Bush, I think, in the chat room. Um, really? She's now in the UK, so uh, she's on our time zone. Have to get you involved in another podcast soon, Tara. Anyway, um, Rich, what can you? What would yes. you? What, what do you think? What would you like to see? Well, I'm. There's a lot I'd like to see, and yet there's a lot that's already been done. I mean, the thing we're describing right now, apart from its analog synth origins, is very much like the Arturia origin in in some ways. In other words, they tried to pack a big wave ROM and a lot of versatility and some filtering that, that they claim is variable between different, you know, sourced. Yeah. 
modeled things and a keyboard with effects. And uh, I mean, on some level, people are trying to do this. And then that new uh, Dave Smith rig, where uh, which you showed in the uh, Nam Nam videos. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Where where he had that uh, little one voice monophonic thing with the knobs and the keys on it, and then it would connect to the yeah four voice box to make one stunning five voice synth system for not a whole lot of money and very portable. And and there's just and then you've got your Blauveld 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 Blofeld, yeah. Blofeld, yes. Uh my forgive me. And uh <laughs> you got that and and there's just um and and ultimately it all ends up looking like some sort of like Axiom slash Novation controller in front of a bunch of analog synthesizer things, and and it just strikes me as it's been hard for people to mo- to sell. Yeah, that's true. As I, mean, I think across the history of trying to do this, I mean, right now, for example, you got the Korg. What is it? The Micro uh, Micro Korg, Korg, yeah, Micro XL. Korg XL. And that's a pretty amazing box in terms of the way it sounds, but it really only has like one large knob on it, and maybe you know a couple of other smaller knobs. But there's not a whole lot of control, so they gave up on the control thing for the sound and versatility for the cost, thing. Yeah keep the money i suppose the question maybe the question is do you think it would let's say let's say we take the juno 106 as a starting point could you even just build that for 500 euros assuming you had mass production scaling yeah i'd say so probably I would imagine. I, well, yeah. that's kind of interesting because I mean, you just think, well, just do that then. Yeah. <laughs> just do that, and it'll be fine. Everybody will buy it because nobody can. Yeah, afford- they should do that. that I mean, would be why fantastic. ever not? Why, is, why isn't Roland doing that? You know, going. Well, back I and guess reissue. they're not tooled up for it. I mean, because it would be a, a complete retooling, wouldn't it? I mean, it's and a lot of the investment that's gone into their synthesizer engines, and this goes for all of the big guys. You know, is is down. You know, with Korg and with Yamaha the motif engine, what have you, it goes down to, you know, that's what the model that they followed and to sort of divert and change would be enormously expensive. Whereas if you're starting from scratch, then it's, you know, that's one of the costs you've got to kind of buy it in the first place. You don't have to change direction. I mean, and if somebody like Behringer, who we hear, you know, have got a lot of cash, they're buying companies, they're doing stuff. I, I kind of quite welcome it actually. And I think it might be something that would help us get them a bit more because it's really hard to understand where Behringer are at because they've kind of closed the doors in the last six or nine months we don't really know what they're what they're doing they don't advertise they don't you know they don't really tell talk to people so this sort of thing you could kind of see well actually it might give might, might be a really good idea and then they could just you know stick a usb port on it stick you know what else would you need maybe i don't know a couple of nifty bits and bobs but it doesn't really need to do that much more than than just the what the 106 or the 60 does. Yeah, what well, great entry level for kids and stuff. Mm. Yeah. I suppose the problem is, is they, they would they find it really hard not to make it look almost exactly like a Juno and then get, you know, spend a lot of time well, in court? With 108 on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and the other thing is it's a separate marketing issue. If you're marketing, let's say you were marketing to kids and you want to create a beginner rig, um, you're better off on some level... If, if the kid doesn't actually have to bring it to the gig, you're better off getting the kid the Korg nano controllers, uh, a light version of Ableton, which comes with a bunch of synths. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's a workstation and the whole thing. And, and on, on the laptop, the kid's already running his games on. Yeah, and I didn't want to seem so cynical when you asked me what I would add to it, but I, I think Rich is exactly right. I mean, for that price, uh, I'd, I'd much rather invest in, in software and hardware controllers personally. Mm. I suppose if you haven't got a laptop, though, 500 euros well, is your starting yeah. point, isn't it? But then if you haven't got a laptop, what do you want, to, what do you want a synthesizer for? What well, are you going to well, record it with? <laughs> and then you get, yeah, the self-contained workstation world has been kind of dwindling, though, for 20 years as we think about it and go over its history. You know, the, the ROM-based self-contained hardware workstation I mean, they all still do it because why not? We've already written the software, but nobody, re- not that many people are doing mm. full, full-on full music production on those things in, well, maybe in the dance community some people are. But, but uh, hip, I think a lot, of guys, a lot of hip-hop guys that I know around yeah. here do that. Yeah. yeah. What, they use their motif as their primary yeah. sequence? Yeah, or a Korg Triton, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. I, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, so, though. I mean, it does it does ask quite a major fundamental question doesn't it i mean it's sort of it's like calling the bluff isn't it almost it's like okay i I reckon i could make you a juno 106 type instrument for this much money but do you actually want it or is it all just talk i didn't Mm. want a juno 106 then (laughs) i've got one actually but uh mine's broken 
I've got I much one preferred. I'm got sorry. Broke. I, I love it. It's, it's <laughs> I, I was a Korg Poly Six fan. Yeah, yeah same sort of thing. Well, the single like. oscillator for the single oscillator simple filter path because this was like the next gen after you had your profit first you had your Oberheim A4 then you got to your profit style stuff and they were multi-oscillator in CS80s and multi-oscillator big ass synthesizers and then it got to be well how are we going to sell one of these things for less than $2,000 well let's build it with one oscillator one envelope generator a simple filter a couple of sliders on it and uh, make it save 32 programs and off you go Mm. And so that's kind of how they came about. They were cut down versions in order to sell synths to people who couldn't afford $4,000 synthesizers. Yeah. But it is very interesting because when you think that um, some of the synthesizers, like the, those creamware boxes, and I know they're made not by Bowman Creamware anymore, they're sort of mini versions of those synths. Whereas if we've already established that you could make a synthesizer for that much money that was real and wasn't actually a soft piece of software, then why isn't anybody doing it? Well, I think Dave Smith is. Mm, that's true, yes. He is. I've missed that key point. Part of me really wants them to do it. I'd really like them to do it because I think it would shake up the synth market a little bit and maybe kind of prove to people that it was worth investing in new synthesizers or at least, you know, hardware-based synthesizers. And we might see just a kind of uh, an interesting shift in the way things are made and, you know, it might just stir things up a bit. So good on you, if it's at all true, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, so oh, why not get a cheap tower or a cheap laptop and and uh hook up the uh the the korg digital edition of that i mean at right. least you could use mm. that as a you know it's got a controller that you could use as a, to teach the kids you yeah know, right. right patch and all of that. yeah exactly. 199 bucks because know, the that. less that okay. you bury in menus on an educational level, the more obvious and the more – it's that you know, gleeful grabbing of the knob again. You know? Somebody said that that would be – the Matt C., I think, said in the chat, and that should be the title of this week's podcast. I think that as it's been yeah. said twice, then I, that's it. <laughs> Rich, you've just <laughs> said – I guess that should be said to be lobbying I, now. I think I would just like to say this once, but Rich, you firmed up the title of the podcast <laughs> there. Good lad. <laughs> We learn so much. <laughs> anyway, um, um, let's not dwell on it too much, but it's an interesting, it obviously has sparked a lot of debate and uh, was a very interesting story and people were interested in it. So anyway, um, a, a quickie here, uh, Vatican top 10 albums. Apparently there's been a sort of little uh, edict from uh, in the, the L'Observatore Romano. Um, they recommend the following top 10 albums, Revolver by the Beatles, if I could only remember my name, by David Crosby, Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, Nightfly by Donald Fagan, Thriller by Michael Jackson, Graceland by Paul Simon, Acton Baby by U2, uh, What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis, and Supernatural by Carlos Santana. I would say probably at least 40% of those have very strong drug connotations, <laughs> either in the title or the association with the band. But again, I think it was only supposed to be a bit of fun. So perhaps um, we should jump straight onto this Ivory piece, because I know that there's probably at least three people here who are big fans of Ivory, and I will play a little example of uh, an Ivory piece. Anyway, that sounded quite real, uh, although perhaps a little quantized, if I may say so. But anyway, um, that was, uh, <laughs> this is from Kiwi Steve, uh, who's in the chat room. He's the chap who gets up at uh, four o'clock in the morning um, to join us. It looks like, oh, he is here this week. Um, well done, mate. Thank you very much for joining us. Anyway, uh, Ivory version 2 has been announced. Uh, it's going to be powered by a new custom engine. Uh, entire line of Ivory virtual pianos will feature groundbreaking new technology, new graphical interface, further expanded piano sample sets to provide performers and producers with more expensive, expressive detail than ever. <laughs> I know, uh, Rich, you're a fan of Ivory. I, I, I think, Dave, you are as well. I don't know about you, PJ. Yes, sir. Tell me about it. Is it really great? I mean, I'm looking, I was digging around on the site, and it does look like it's kind of... It's almost like the software Steinway company, isn't it? It's sort of... They, they seem to have a sort of... Well, somebody actually sells a licensed Steinway set of samples. I don't remember who, but it's not that them. That is uh, Gary Garretton. Okay. Yeah, the guy that there did. you go. Yep. Who, who actually got the Steinway uh, kiss of approval. But uh, yep. I'll start. Ivory uh, sounds wonderful. It's some of the best-sounding piano samples I've heard. 
the stuff they build in, the ambiences and stuff are okay. I use them a little bit sometimes, but I'm more into the sound of the samples. I've gone on before at probably nauseating length about how I wish they combined a little better, and it sounds to me like they're trying to deal with that in their version too. So those are all the upsides. The downside is I can hardly ever use it in a full-blown production because of its RAM requirements and the it just beats if I use that thing in a set of drums and a decent bass sound, all of a sudden my eight core Mac is like huffing and puffing because my host is is running out of RAM. Mm. So uh I wish it were less RAM intensive. And because of that lately I've been using Piano Tech a lot because it uses like no RAM. Um and it sounds perfectly acceptable. And if I ever have to print the piano sound, I can decide which one I want to use. But for the purposes I'm using it for right now, it all sounds fine. But uh, Ivory's great, and I look forward to version two. I always, um, I always get a bit nervous when they say things like "powered by a new custom engine." Doesn't that sort of make you feel like you might be beta testing a little bit in the uh, first, <laughs> as one of the first sort of purchases of the new engine? If they said that, and at the end it said "and far less CPU and RAM intensive," I would be lining up. Hmm. Interesting. I suppose, I mean, you know, if you add, maybe what you need is to run it in its own Mac for it to be really, you know, can you run it in, um, on the, uh, Muse receptor? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yep. Well, that might be a concept. No, yep. it, there's a, a lot of ways up. around this, but, but I just want to, I don't have time. It's got to load with the session. Right. Session has to load in full on its own as a self-contained document. And if it doesn't, I just can't be bothered. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, in the chat room, uh, John Van Eaton um, mentions that Imogen Heap likes Ivory, and she's actually got a little uh, poster frame up there saying, you know, she loves it. She, uses, she has a Perspex piano that she plays live, and I think that's powered by Ivory. Hmm. I don't know whether she's got a dedicated machine for that. But PJ, you're, you're an Ivory user as well, right? I am, and I agree with Rich about the upsides and downsides of Ivory. The way that I work around it is is very old school. I, I simply print all the audio. I, I don't record Generally, I don't record my piano parts as MIDI at all. I, I work out the arrangement beforehand, and then I just record it as audio, and I leave it that way. If I need to go back and change something, I re-record it. Old school. But, uh, yep, I do it that way because the RAM, it is extremely RAM-intensive, especially if you start getting into the 10-level the pianos, that kind of thing. Um, the ambiences that are built into Ivory are so-so. Uh, the EQ that's built into, the, into Ivory is serviceable. Um, it's great because it has uh, you know, re- release samples, noise sample, key click samples, uh, soft pedal samples. Has it got creaky still samples? samples. It, it doesn't, but it sounds like the new one does. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta watch out for and, creaky um, stills. Yeah. I did find a video on GearWire uh, of a demonstration at NAMM of the new piano. And what you, what you, from what you can glean over... You know, YouTube, it does sound, it sounds pretty good, the new one, the string resonance. He, he gave a, uh, a demonstration of holding down a complement of keys and so, that, so that they're silently held down and then hitting a few bass notes. And you can hear the soundboard resonating the way ah. that a real, way that so, a real so piano So it resonates plays. in sympathy with the notes held down rather than just a generic yep. resonance. They claim that that's done not via sampling. So I'm assuming, I don't know, some kind of, some kind of, physical modeling that's added to the samples so it's uh, it's it sounds pretty it sounds pretty good over over youtube but you know the jury's out until you hear it yeah but any any improvement on the sound of ivory is is great because in in context especially ivory is a great piano and as a matter of fact i'm looking at purchasing a muse receptor for the gig that i'm doing currently the live thing that i'm doing right uh, just to power ivory because there's no stage piano out there, maybe aside from the Roland V piano that even comes close. Oh, well, yeah. And I suppose this, I mean, it's going to cost a bunch, isn't it? I mean, but, but nowhere near, I mean, V piano is kind of expensive too. The so, V piano is six grand. So the, yeah, yeah. the user is $2,000 at its base price and, and up and it's extremely versatile. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't see any way around it because the, the thing that I'm doing live is, is very subtle. And I want to bring it into spaces where an acoustic instrument isn't available. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and this is the, this, this is the answer, right? This is it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't see any other any other thing. I've tried I've tried a couple of uh, a couple of other options, and they're they're just not uh, they're not working. So, so John, as the sort of coder 
token coder we have here. Do, is there a sort of um, an equation? I mean, shifting that kind of amount of data through an instrument, is, does that present its own set of problems or is it sort of fairly relatively straightforward? It's just, you know, you need power, more power. It's mostly down to power, really. I mean, you could be reasonably clever about it, but um, you, the reason it takes up so much memory is even if you're reading off disk, you've got to buffer every single key mm. uh, and every single sample of every single key because you've got to get that first bit of the sample playing straight out of memory, otherwise it's going to mm-hmm. get a delay when it gets it off disk. Um, but other than that, that part is a sample playback. I mean, they talk about fe- it, it features groundbreaking new technology um, and then... Anything mentioned to just straight samples? I've got no idea what the uh... well that might be. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, I, I mean, everybody seems to be moving away from contact as an engine. Um, you know, the big, the, the, certainly the big sample um, people. Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing because it must be, you know, after a certain amount of time, it's just as cost effective to develop your own engine and not pay the license to uh, native instruments anymore. And you get to have it do exactly what you want. But there must be only, uh, you know a few people in the world who can actually make these custom engines for the various uh, requirements. If it was always true when they say groundbreaking, we'd be travelling by teleport these days. So. Yes, the, where's my flying car? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they didn't use the word revolutionary. Oh, no, that's true. Um, that's for, those, for those of you who um, want to know, that was a, the, the sample of the Bossendorfer Imperial Grand, uh, and it's a composition by Gabriel Pierni, uh, Etude de Concert, Opus 13 in C minor, played by Stefan Fall, a pianist from Berlin. Just in case you were wondering. Um, let's have a look. This is going to be available in May uh, 2010. So uh, check out your ivory, you ivory heads out there. That'll be the time to go and get your upgrade and see how it works for you. Um, oh, the grand pianos are 349 bucks, and there's an Italian grand, which has been getting a whole bunch of uh, good words. Uh, it's about 19 gigabytes, but I don't know how much that one is also a, a a collection of uprights oh yes well. i did see that i couldn't see what the price was on those so the italian brand and the uprights are i believe they retail at 149 american do you play have you got all of those or have you just got the grands what's your nope i just have the grands yeah okay. i've got some i have some other samples that i use for uprights and that and that type of thing when i when i need them okay and you don't play it via midi well sorry you don't record your midi no i mean i do you must be Dave, really you know, good I, well he is he's a pianist and everything wow <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I have and I do, you know. But in terms of using in terms of using Ivory on a day to day basis, I don't I don't record the mini. I just record it as audio because it right. just makes it it makes it much easier for me. And I guess you know if you play the piano, that's kind of what you're used to anyway. So you know why? Yeah, and that's the way I did I did things, you know, for years and years and years. When I, was, when I was running Pro Tools rig, um, that's all I'd ever do. When I go in to do session work for other people, I never never recorded anything as MIDI. You know, you yeah. you mic up a piano, or you you bring in your rig and you play it right in. So, mm. why not? No, why ever not? Well, folks, thank you very much for your uh, input into this discussion. I think it's been quite an interesting journey this week, and uh, thanks very much to John for for coming like a lamb to the slaughter into a situation he wasn't at all aware of until moments ago. So uh, we'll say thank you to all the people in the chat room um, who've been joining us. It's been very pleasant to see you there. And I think Tara Bush was there, as I said, and uh, various other people. So thank you very much. And remember, if you're hearing this for the first time and you're wondering what I'm talking about, 4pm UK time, sonicstate.com forward slash live. There's a live flash chat room that you can participate in as well as listening to the live stream. Um, So thank you very much to everybody in the chat room. Thank you to uh, my guests in the studio I don't get to say that very often uh, Dave Spears from g4software.com Thank you very much And also John, uh, the number cruncher who is uh, the arch coder behind uh, the Imposca 2, thank you I guess you're going to have to go back and get to work now, they let you out Yeah, I get one day out a month you know Brilliant. Well, I, I, and you got to spend it working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a, a wave to Chris McLeod from G4 Software, who's over in the corner too. You'll have to pretend you can hear that wave, but that, that was him. And also to uh, my guests on stateside, uh, thank you very much, PJ Tracy. Uh, thanks very much for coming over. I know it's been difficult to to hook you up with, with Skype, but it sounds like everything's held together. So um, whatever you've been doing, you've done it right. Thank you. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. A real pleasure. PJTracyMusic.com, you see what PJ's up to. And also, uh, Mr. Rich Hilton from sunny, well, not sunny, snowy Connecticut. Uh, I I noticed one of your tweets, uh, you were saying you're snowed in, ice hockey on HD, and the oldest American lager. Which, incidentally, what is the oldest American lager? It's from Pennsylvania. It's by a company called Yingling. 
Mm, I'm going to have to try some of that stuff when I come out there next. It's pretty good. Thank you very much for joining us too. I'm sure. Are you still snowed in, or are you going to be getting off to work in the in the studio with Noah later? Or no, off to the studio today. Okay. Anything exciting happening? Checking for snow Always. damage. <laughs> Always something exciting happening. Never able to predict what that will be. Ah, what an exciting day! Brilliant. Okay, Rich, well, uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Thank you very much. And that was Sonic Talk number 165. Thanks to everybody involved. Also, thanks to the show sponsors. Uh, check out their links at sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, because Yamaha are indeed them. It's a wrap. Thanks very much.